Hello, boys and girls. This is Steve Tripp coming to you live from the Top Strength Project, and this is the Top Strength Cast, a grit original. I am here to denounce the limitless bullshit surrounding the industry by sharing my own personal experiences and insights in an attempt to offer a more direct, sensible, and authentic approach to becoming the best version of ourselves. Other experts at the top of their fields will be joining me to cover training for and competing in strength sports along with all things muscle. It is my goal to offer as much value through this platform as possible because I believe that there is no cruise control. There is no maintaining. You're either learning, growing, and getting better, or you're going backwards. So wake up, be present, be relentless, and let's go. What's up, boys and girls? We're back. Can you believe it? We're back again. Another episode of the Top Strength Cast with me, your host, Steve Tripp, Strip Cam. Today, uh, I think it's appropriate to kind of dive into speaking about competing a bit and a lot of the anxieties and nerves and processes that, that go into competing. This is something that... um I have some experience in. I've been competing in strength sports for six years um, so far, believe it or not, which is kind of crazy that it's been that long and also that short, I guess, depending on how you look at it. Um, I also you know, played college football at, at, at a decent level before then, and there's just been a lot of lessons uh, learned along the way. Just to give you some background, I originally started competing in, in powerlifting. I didn't really have any intention of of competing in strength sports at all I, I you know I started lifting weights when I was 13 and it wasn't until I opened my first location over uh, on the west side of Providence that I started competing in strength sports really because I had a few members um one one of which was a was a client of a trainer that used to work with me um and she had interest in competing in powerlifting she was looking to beat the may have been the national or world record world deadlift record for under 17 I think at the time the the record was 205 pounds and she was looking looking to beat it in a certain competition so i kind of said hey I'll, I'll do it with you let's both do it so a group of us from the gym ended up competing in an spf powerlifting meet i ended up winning my class i didn't win best lifter because interestingly enough um and again i, I you know I, I wasn't exposed to powerlifting really at all at the time I, i'd never done it but i was in the open class and i actually uh, the, the the way the flights were organized, you know, the heaviest lifters went last, and I was I was strong enough. My openers were strong enough to put me in the last class, and I was actually the only raw lifter in that class. So it was me and all the geared guys, which was which was kind of a treat, um, just to kind of be a part of all that, especially never being exposed to the sport. Um, I was able to win my class, but I didn't win uh, the overall best lifter because, um, like I said, interestingly enough, in, in the SPF, the, the open class is the open class. So my total went into the Wilkes right along with the geared guys total as well. And, um, you know, I obviously wasn't able to squat what they squatted. I think, um, you know, I may have squatted in the mid fives, benched four, 425 and deadlifted 675. I'm pretty sure the the guy that won the overall, he was a geared guy, multiply. I think he might have squatted close to nine. He had, you know, maybe a, a low five bench, and he had like a 550 deadlift. The suit doesn't help, the whole lot, help, help a whole lot in the deadlift, but his, his total was obviously bigger than mine, um, so he ended up winning the overall. But after that experience, you know, I was kind of like, shit, I guess I'm a powerlifter now. And, you know, that, that kind of community continued to grow in the original location and a similar story, a trainer that was working with me was a competitive uh, strong man. And he had a show coming up in New York, New York strongest man. This is back in 2017. And he was like, you know, could I wear my top strength gear? Can you like sponsor me? Are you guys going to come? And I was like, dude, I'll do it with you. And um, we ended up doing New York strongest man. That's, that's where I met Todd, um, the state rep down in New York. He owns New York Strong. Such a great guy. He and I have become very close. But I ended up winning that show in the heavyweight division. I won um, New York Strongest Man 2017. And that was such a great experience. Um, we'll probably talk about that in a later podcast. But then I guess I said, hey, I guess I'm a, I guess I'm a, I guess I'm a strongman competitor now. I went on to compete at nationals that year, 2017. And that's when I sustained um, this injury to my left elbow. I, 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 broke, I broke my left olecranon which is the proximal portion of the ulna, I believe. Um, and I broke it 
clean through. I had no idea it was broken at the time. It wasn't because of adrenaline or any other reason. I mean, it wasn't a painful break. I fell carrying a sandbag, and I landed on my arm, and I had broken my electron. I didn't know that it was broken. I actually was either in second or third place at the time going into the final event, which was a stone over bar, which is a great event for me. I have, I've always had, I've always been had a bit of an affinity and an ability towards stones. And it was a 360 AMRAP in a minute, I believe. And I'd hit five in training. And because I was in second or third place, I would, you know, I was in the back of the order and there was 50 guys in my class or so. And I'm watching and guys are getting one failing. A couple guys got three, a couple guys got four and I'm standing there and I, my arm was hurt. Um, it hurt to extend it, but I, I was pulling on it and pulling and pulling and, and I'm like, I, I can, I can fucking swing this event. And I'm, I'm in the back of the line and you know, the, my, my friends that I was with got me dressed up, got me tacked up. And I was, I was, I was feeling pretty confident and I went up, um, and went down to grab the stone, you know, confident I was going to be able to get, you know, five, maybe even six reps in that atmosphere. And I just, um, I, I had nothing. My arm was, it was a lot worse than I thought. And I ended up flying home from Detroit. Uh, I got an x-ray the Wednesday after that weekend and found out that my electron was completely broken. I ended up needing surgery. I got 10 screws and two plates put in, and my arm's never been the same. I still don't have use of my tricep. That's been uh, quite a quite a process and a journey over these last five years, hoping to get some answers soon after um, getting some some EMG testing and biofeedback testing to test the nerves. And turns out there's a pretty good chance I have a a pinched nerve in my C6 vertebrae, among some other issues that may be in my neck that's preventing my ability to contract and, and, and build and strengthen my left tricep, which has dramatically affected my ability to press over the last five years. It's been a, been a real pain in the ass. P- pain in the elbow, really. Well, not painful. I shouldn't say painful. It was very painful for the first year and a half after the, the, you know, the, the injury, but it's not painful. It just doesn't fucking work. It hurts my feelings more than anything, really. Um, but to continue on, um, I, I continue to compete, even though I really haven't had much use of my left arm. Like I said, it's dramatically affect, affected my bench press. Uh, I'm back up around a 400-pound bench press, but I'm, I, I haven't been able to get much higher than that. Um, and my overhead is, is just trash. Um, I had a, probably a 350 log, um, you know, three, 350 axle clean and press. Um, I, I wasn't the best overhead presser, but I, I was competitive in overhead until this injury. And now with a barbell or an axle, because of the biomechanics of the movement, I can leverage a lot of, of leg drive. I, I can still overhead press in an axle or in a barbell, you know, in the, in the low 300s. You know, in order to be competitive, I, I have to be over 400. But my log, that neutral grip, is um is just pathetic. It's fucking embarrassing. I honestly, you know, have to talk to myself in my brain to prevent from having an adult tempo tantrum every time I train the log, or even um, dumbbell overhead pressing. It's just really, really lacking. I I, I could probably barely get between two twenty and two sixty on, on on a log now, um, barely and inconsistently. So hopefully I'll get ahead of that. But. I, Regardless, I've continued to compete in both powerlifting and strongman. I leave probably 100, 150 pounds on the table in powerlifting, not being able to bench. Um, but I'm still, you know, around a 2,000-pound total, which has been enough to win um, all of the powerlifting meets I've done. Uh, I've probably done, I did two or three in the SPF, and I've done another four or five in the USPA. And I've won uh, best lifter in my class in, in, in just about all of them. I've won my class in all of them. I missed best lifter in a couple. And I've also continued to compete in strongman, where I where I've won I've won New York actually four times, seventeen, nineteen, twenty one, twenty two. Uh, I won Massachusetts twice, Maine once, Connecticut once, and I've won Rhode Island uh, four times. I actually haven't lost a competition aside from taking second um, at a competition in, in Massachusetts. Uh, Clash of the Titans, my buddy, my, my, my buddy Eric's gym. That was a very, very, very competitive competition. It was great. And in and, and all these competitions, I've had to actually zero or place close to, if not dead last, in the overhead in every single event. But I've been fortunate enough to be successful enough in the other four events that I've been able to win. Um, I haven't gone back to nationals yet, even though I've qualified every year. Um, and I keep qualifying for these big shows, but I'm not going to show up without an overhead you know i'm fortunate to have enough to you know sweep or come close to sweeping the last four events and all these strongman 
competitions after you know zeroing or losing the overhead, but that's not going to be enough in a big show. It's not going to be enough. Um, this year, Nationals has uh, kind of an odd implement overhead. It's a it's a medley. It's a sandbag. I have a two twenty five sandbag to a two fifty keg to a two fifty sandbag. You know, which is which is lighter than the traditional overhead events. You know, usually you're looking at a three 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 hundred plus log or, or axle, which is kind of out of my price range. But I saw these events and I said, you know what? Maybe I can fucking pull this off. And I started training um, the sandbag and keg uh, about six months ago. And to be completely honest, you know, a hundred pound bag, hundred twenty pound bag, pound bag for three to five reps was about all I had with with really unconvincing lockouts i probably wouldn't get the call in a competition and keg keg is okay because my left hand doesn't have to do a ton of my my left arm doesn't have to do a ton of work um where it's on the top of the keg if that makes sense i only have to press a a little bit where my right arm does most of the work there so i've been training it um you know relentlessly doing the absolute best i can and i'm very very close Um, um i'm two weeks out from nationals myself and probably six or seven other guys from the gym and girls from the gym are about are two weeks out from nationals and I've, I've just about hit comp weight in, in that event i've hit the 250 bag by itself but not in sequence so i'm hoping to not only be able to participate in the overhead this year at nationals but actually be competitive i'm, I'm very very close um and i can't wait and that, and that kind of leads into the, the the point of this uh podcast is is i wanted to get this out uh not only for for all the listeners but for you know the crew, the members of the Top Strength Brigade that are all rolling into this competition. This this is this is a conversation I've had with myself, and yes, I do talk to myself, and I've had it with with uh, many many clients and friends that have competed um, either alongside me or if I prepared them for competitions um, on their own. You know they 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 have a lot of questions on how to deal with anxiety and, and nervousness and. Um, you know, what to eat the day before, the day of, the morning of, during and after, um, how to feed themselves, you know, what's the, what's the best course of action and just how to manage all the stresses that come along with competing. So um, I wanted to get this out there and share it with you guys. And I, and I hope it provides um, a lot of value. These, these uh, mental processes and techniques and, and kind of approaches that I've taken have served me very well in my, in my short um, my short time competing in strength sports. And, and, and I, th- I think it's valuable. I, th- I think it can help a lot of people. So I, I hope this is valuable to you guys. So let's get right to it. Number one, let's just talk about um, nerves and, and being nervous and having anxiety leading up to a competition. That's always the biggest question. I'm so nervous. I'm so nervous. How can I manage you know, these nerves? And my answer is, well, you, sh- you should be nervous. Um, if you're not nervous, you probably shouldn't be competing. Um, I get fucking nervous. I'm so nervous. I'm two weeks out and I'm so fucking nervous. I'm nervous before every competition. And that's because it's, it's important to me. I want to be successful. Um, so you should be nervous. But you also could be nervous because you're not prepared. And if you're not prepared, that's your own fault, especially when it comes to strength sports, you know, powerlifting. You, you know the lift, squat, bench, deadlift. Um, and if you haven't been, prepared, been preparing and, you're not, and you're not, you haven't done everything you can to set yourself up to be successful, that's your own fault. Um, same thing for strongman. You know, you know the events six months, four months, or or more. You know, you, you know the events way ahead of time, so you, you should be prepared. So if you're nervous because you're not prepared, that's your own fault. If you're nervous because it's important to you, well, you know what? I, I see that as a tool. I see that as something that can be helpful. Realize that, you know, those nerves can can serve you as, as long as you kind of go through some some mental processes to be able to work through those nerves and those anxiety before game day. So let's talk about some strategies uh, to, to do that. For one, visualization is, is such a, an invaluable tool, um, not only visualizing being successful, but also visualizing failing first. So, you know, let's say leading up to the event, let's say we're about a, a month out or, or let's say two weeks out. I like to go through and visualize every possible thing that could go wrong. So let's say um, if, we're, if we're in a strongman competition and I have a, uh, the medley, the overhead medley I just described to you. So I'm going to go through in my mind that I'm going to mentally process and, and mentally visit that event. And I'm going to picture myself being there 
and maybe muffing the first sandbag, missing, missing the first lift. And I'm going to go through that and process that in my mind as many times as I need to, to be able to get through it and, and, and live that moment in my mind. Dude. Now, why would I do that? Because the likelihood of that happening is just as good as it not happening. And the thing is, is I don't want to have a panic attack in the, in the middle of the event. You know, it's, 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 a, it's a timed event. I want to get done as fast as possible. And I need to be prepared if something goes wrong. So that if in the event something does go wrong, I can take a deep breath, center myself again, reach down, and hit the bag and, and still complete the event. It's, it's not over, you know. Um, anything can happen in strongman. And even if it doesn't go perfectly, I still want to set myself up to get as many as much points as possible. So if 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 I if I muff the first one, I want to reach down. I want to be able to calm myself, take a deep breath, and focus, and still complete the event to the best of my ability. Um, same thing with any other event. You know, processing through squat, bench, and deadlift for a powerlifting meet. You know, I, I want to visualize and, and mentally process me missing my first squat, getting called for depth, whatever it may be. I, I have to I have to go through that in my mind and, and, and process that in my mind before the before the day so that if in if in the event it does happen, I can be poised and 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 confident and, and in control of my emotions in that moment and I and I'll know what to do. I also think going through you know, visualizing failure and every possible thing that can go wrong beforehand can help kind of filter through and, and, and help you work through some of those nerves and the anxieties you may have going into it. Um, because if you don't, if you don't, you know, come, come game day, if something goes wrong, you're going to be fucked. Um, and also your, your nerves and anxiety is still going to be very high where, where processing and visualizing failure can help, can help mitigate some of that. So I take as much time as necessary. I go through each event and I think of all the things that could possibly go wrong. And over the course of a couple of days or however long it takes, I, I, I visualize and, and process everything that could possibly go wrong so that I'm in a position to be able to bounce back. You know, my, the, the event's not over. The day's not over. If something goes wrong because things will go wrong. Very, very rarely is everything going to go to plan on game day unless you have a horseshoe up your ass, which most of us don't. So once I process and I visualize all the things that could possibly go wrong, then I can start visualizing being successful, all right? And this is the bread and butter. This is the show. There's been tons of studies done to validate um, these theories, one of which that sticks out is uh, free throw shooting. So they had three groups. These three groups all lined up and shot, say, 20 free throws. And then over the next week, one group continued to practice free throw shooting for an hour a day. They'd go and, and take shots for an hour a day. The second group never touched the basketball, but they were instructed and guided through visualization of shooting free throws and visualizing successfully hitting free throws for that week. And the third group did nothing. And interestingly enough, at the end of that week, when they retested groups one and two, the group that actually practiced and shot free throws every day, and the group that just visualized shooting free throws every day, both improved by close to 30%. Let me say that again. The group that actually practiced the act of shooting free throws and the group that just thought about it, never touched the basketball, but thought about it, visualized shooting for that week, both improved close to 30%. And of course, the group that didn't do shit didn't really improve much. So let's think about that. Let's think about the importance of visualization and visualizing being successful and going through all the crew, all, all the all the cues in your head, um, putting yourself in that scenario mentally and working through it, along with your preparation, along with your training, along with your actual application of practice. If you do both, both what Group One and Two did, you're going to set yourself up for success in a big way. Just one or the other isn't enough. You have to do both. So, visualization is 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 a is an invaluable tool. For one, to help work through your nerves and work through your anxieties. Second, to set yourself up so that if in the event something does go wrong, you're prepared and you'll, you know, you'll be able to, to, to rise above and stay focused and, and get right back on track. And third, when you visualize being successful and actually going through all the cues and all the processes in your mind mentally before actually executing on the day, it's going to benefit you in a great way. Like I said, those free throw shooters, the ones that didn't even shoot and just thought about it and visualized for a week, still improved 30%, the same margin that the group that actually practiced free throws did. So, so pretty amazing stuff. 
the next thing I want to talk about is is uh, is managing adrenaline, managing your excitement. Um, you know, you you see it a lot in the gym setting. Uh, you know, people get really hyped up. They yell, they scream, they grunt, they slap themselves. You know, they get all fucking fired up. They make their eyes pop out of their head. More often than not, I think it's fucking fake. I think they're just acting like a fool, trying to draw attention to themselves so they can be like, wow, that guy's fucking nuts, you know? But I think more often than not, it's bullshit. But, but, more, but, but many people do. They, they, they go to a dark place. They go to a, you know, an angry place, and, and, and they, they leverage that. They leverage that adrenaline, that angst to help compete and, and help execute a lift and, and it serves some people well it's a tool just like anything else but i think we, we need to realize is that that comes at a cost you know uh it's fucking exhausting and and i see it all the time and i actually experienced this personally when i when i started playing football in college so uh, we'll, we'll, we'll go into a little story here so as many of you guys know, I played high school football, and the summer before my senior year in high school, um, I fell asleep at the wheel coming home from work, 3.30 in the afternoon. Um, there wasn't any drugs or alcohol involved. I, I got sick. I got mono for the second time in, in six months, and my tonsils got so big that I, I had to get an emergency tonsillectomy, and I ended up going right back to work. I still had mono. I probably should have rested, but I had no interest in resting. I wanted to, I wanted to get back to work. You know, I wanted to continue doing captain's practice for football for the upcoming season, my senior year season. Um, I was very interested in lifting weights, so I was going to keep lifting weights, and I just got my license. So I was, I was building, uh, building condos in Canton, Mass. So I had a pretty full schedule. You know, I was working 40 to 60 hours a week building condos um, in summer, in, in the heat of the summer. I also had captain's practice. I was also lifting. And I was also partying my ass off all the weekends. Um, long story short, I made it two weeks. I, I'd been dozing off at the wheel uh, every day going to and from work. I'd doze off in the morning, wake up in the other lane. Oh, fuck, come back. Uh, but the second Friday, um, I fell asleep at the wheel coming home. I went to the other lane on 140 in Norton, and I hit a kid coming the other way. And I was crushed. I was in a 92 S10, no airbag, and... I was completely crushed. He was in a newer model Nissan Sentra. He was safe. He had an airbag. He didn't sustain any serious injuries. So I was very, very lucky in that sense. Um, so you know, me, me being as irresponsible and selfish as I was to continue to work when I should have been resting, um, it really only cost me, luckily. But I shattered my jaw, uh, hyperextended my right elbow, dislocated my right shoulder. I broke my right femur, broke my right ankle, broke my left foot in four places, four four metatarsals and I broke my left um, ulna and radius in, in two places so I, I was pretty banged up and um, you know the, uh, the idea of, of playing college football like I had originally intended at the time didn't really seem like it was a possibility uh, but I ended up getting back in shape and I ended up walking on my sophomore year and playing playing football at Bridgewater State not, not, not a super competitive school it was division three but I was still very excited you know um, and I'll never forget it. My first and second game, you know, I was uh, in warm-ups and I was just fucking lighting it up. You know, I couldn't have been more excited. The the band and the stands were jacked and I was in my sick uniform and I was like, dude, I'm playing fucking college ball, you know? So during warm-ups, I was so lit, running around like a maniac, just lighting people up. It's like I was in the fourth quarter of a game, just 100% effort, just maxed out. And I was on special teams, so we kicked off. And then I, I played defensive end, so I lined up. I lined up, uh, you know, to, to for, for the first series of plays. And thirty, forty-five seconds into the game, I was fucking exhausted, and I was in shape. You know, I was definitely in shape, but um, I had totally exhausted myself being so excited. Um, I think the physical, the physical work I was doing, you know, applying my best effort and and, and going as hard as I could in, in my drills wasn't so much what fatigued me as much as me just being so so up so lit in my in, in my mind and so full of adrenaline that you know five minutes into the game I was spent and I, I got I got a, I got four quarters to play you know so keeping that in mind you know when, when you're doing a especially in strength sports I mean powerlifting meets strongman meets powerlifting you got three lifts three attempts at each lift, it's going to be at least an hour, an hour and a half per lift or more. So you're looking at a three to five to six hour day. And then strongman, you have five events, same shit, five events, at least an hour per event, at least sometimes longer. You're looking at a five hour day. So you, you approach the overhead, the first event, 
you're all fired up. You're all, you know, taking salt, slapping yourself. You had a gram of caffeine. You, you, you're going to bust your nut in that first event. You got four events to go, man. And the events really only get heavier. Typically in strongman, the events are ordered the most complex and technique oriented ones first. And then they kind of get heavier and heavier as you go. So you got a long day. You know, it's very, very important to learn the skill of managing your adrenaline, managing your energy, being able to, you know, get up for the 30 to 60 seconds you have to execute the each event. But then you got to come down. You got to chill out. You got to chill. You got to relax. You got to focus on getting your heart rate down, taking your breaths. You know, there, there's a bunch of people everywhere. There's a bunch going on, the spectators, the crowd, the judges, the other the other athletes, you know, maybe you you know you've reconnected with a bunch of people you haven't seen since the last competition. Everyone's there to see you. Everyone wants to talk to you and see how you're feeling. You know, get you all fired up, dude. You got it. You got to get away. You got to relax. You have to get your heart rate down and, and chill and recover and, and don't waste energy before the next event and the event after that and the event after that. If you want to be successful and you want to last the whole day, it's not just your nutrition. And it's not just how in shape you are. You don't don't let adrenaline and getting all fired up um, fatigue you a ton. You know, there I forget what video game it was. There's a bunch of them where, you know, your your guy has like superpowers, or there's like an adrenaline button where you can you, you can hit it, and he has like superpowers for a short period of time. But if you do it too long, he loses life. Uh, it's the same concept with adrenaline and, and your energy. You have to be able to manage that. And I've actually had people approach me. Um, a handful of times at, at, at events and like, dude, how are you so chill? You're so relaxed, you know? And, and I, I tell them, I'm like, you know, th- this is intentional. I, I am intentionally, I'm taking deep breaths. I'm focusing on my heart rate, trying to get my heart rate down in between events. And then as the event comes up and I start to get warmed up, I still try and stay calm. But as I'm approaching the platform, as I'm approaching the event area, I I, I, I want to, I, I can feel my heart rate go up. I can feel myself get tight. I can feel myself get excited. Um, and that's something that I've, that I've learned to do over time with experience. It's, it's a very conscious effort in order to manage that, you know, to be able to be docile and calm in between events and not expend too much energy and then be able to turn it on for that 30 to 60 second piece and then come back down. It's, it's so, so important. So being able to manage that is, 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 is huge. Um, and also, I just don't think it's the best course of action to rely upon adrenaline, to rely upon anger and getting all psyched up to be able to perform, because that's not always going to be there. It's not always going to be there. So rely instead upon your training. Rely instead upon your, your preparation. You know, be confident in that. There's no need or hopefully there, there isn't a need to always leverage getting all fired up and angry and, and, and needing adrenaline to be able to be successful and, and hit those big lifts and execute. Um, it's a great tool, but like I said, it's not always going to be there. So relying upon it, I think, is um, going to be detrimental to your success. Okay, So managing your adrenaline, managing your energy is super, super important. Um, and, you know, that's a conversation you can have with your friends and family who are there to support you. Just Just be like, you know... If I seem a little standoffish in between events, be like, I, I just, I need to chill. And, and, and they'll understand. They're, they're, they're there to watch. They're, they're, they're there to support you. So you guys can catch up and talk about the day afterwards. Um, let's talk about nutrition. All right, food. So, you know, there's a bit of individual bias on this. You know, many of you guys and girls are cutting weight to make weight for the competition. Um, and, and if you're fortunate enough to be able to weigh in an, an hour before, not an hour, a, a, usually a 24-hour weigh-in, you can weigh in 24 hours, especially if you've done a pretty hard cut. You have 24 hours to refuel um, if you don't have to cut weight. Uh, the, the same rules apply for me. You know, when, when you're coming up to a competition, stay on plan. Stay on your diet. I think a mistake a lot of people can make, especially after cutting, but even if they're not cutting, is they'll kind of go off plan and maybe go out to eat and eat a bunch of high-calorie, high-salt garbage that they don't normally eat. And the challenge with that is maybe these foods won't digest well. They may cause gastric distress. You know, you have this big, disgusting food baby sitting in your stomach. If you go out and hammer down a bunch of shit the night before, you're going to feel like garbage on game day, and and that's not the best. I do think it's important to increase your calories, increase your salt, increase your carbohydrate intake specifically. 
after your weigh-in um, or, you know, the day before. Again, if you didn't have to cut anything to make weight. So I'd recommend eating more calories, but eating more of the same stuff you're all, you've already been eating, dur- you know, dur- during your preparation. Just just more calories, more salt, more carbohydrates. Um, if you have a go-to cheat meal that you have eaten in the past, you know, let's say if you had a refeed or, or a cheat, during prep and, and you know your body responds well to those foods. Like for example, you know, I'm very fortunate that I, I can digest dairy very well. And I also feel great after five guys. So sometimes my go-to meal the night before a competition will be, you know, two or three double bacon with all the, with all the toppings from, uh, from five guys and a large fry. And then I'll go to Froyo and have a big, huge pile of ice cream or maybe a pint or two of Ben and Jerry's the night before. Um, But I know that I digest that well. I know it doesn't bother my stomach. If it did, as much as I enjoy it, as delicious as it is, I wouldn't eat it before a competition because I don't want to feel like shit. And most importantly, you know, after a a big meal of something that doesn't digest well, the night before, the the next morning, I'm not hungry at all, you know, because my, my body's having a hard time digesting and processing that food. So... You know, most competitions start at nine. You got to wake up six thirty-seven, have a big breakfast. You're probably going to be anxious as hell. You're going to have no appetite. And if you ate a pile of shit the night before, that's like a double whammy. You're not going to be able to eat before your competition. So again, the day before, whether you had to cut weight or not, um, don't go off plan. Just have more of the foods you already be eating. You know, so you can so you can load up. You know, make sure all your glycogen sores are, are loaded, carb loaded up, plenty of salt. Um, I like getting maybe a Pedialyte or two down during the day to make sure all my electrolytes are covered. Um, and I think that's the show. It's going to be, you're going to put yourself in a position to be much more successful. And again, to to make sure you're crossing all the T's and dotting the I's, you know, if you can have that that meal the night before a little earlier than normal, you know, I tend to literally eat like the moment before I go to sleep. Um, if I can get my last meal in, you know, seven, eight o'clock at night, uh, and then get to sleep. Hopefully, I'll wake up with a decent appetite the morning of. So let's talk about morning of. So morning of again, still on plan. All right, I'm not going to go out and eat a bunch of shit. I'm not going to have fucking donuts and garbage that are going to make me feel like a fat, soggy bag of wet dicks before I'm trying to perform um, and hit the biggest lifts of my life. Right, that's what we've been preparing for. So my breakfast is the same. It's the same as it always is, but again, a little bit more of what I already have. So my breakfast every day is, is six jumbo whole eggs, um, pile of greens cooked over Kerrygold butter, and I usually have 80 to 120 carbohydrates, either from cream of rice or some type of English muffin or, or, or bread that digests well. I like Dave's killer bread products. They tend to digest well. So morning of competition, um, I'll do the same thing, but maybe I'll skip the... Uh, spinach, I'll skip the fiber and I'll increase the carbohydrates a bit. And also maybe I'll have a couple pieces of bacon, um, you know, plenty of fat, super high in salt, and maybe a, a short stack of pancakes. Again, um, I've had pancakes in the past. I know that I digest them well. It, it doesn't really upset my stomach at all. And the thing is, is I, I tend to have a super high calorie and really try and stuff myself for breakfast because my appetite's probably not going to be there during the day. So I want to get as much calories in as I can an hour and a half uh, before I start warming up. So that's usually my breakfast. Again, the same breakfast I normally have, I usually take out the fiber um, to free up some more room for carbohydrates because carbohydrates are going to be your, your greatest fuel source during the day. Um, I also try and get a Pedialyte down in the morning as well to make sure all my electrolytes are covered to prevent cramping and uh, getting dizzy or, you know, if it's hot and I'm sweating my face off, you want to make sure you get plenty of electrolytes in to prevent that from happening. I also love LMNT packs. Um, I started using them a few months ago. Those things are the shit. Each one has a gram of sodium and I forget exactly how much, but it's got some magnesium and potassium in there too. It's properly dosed phenomenal product. So I definitely have a handful of those throughout the day, but I try and get a couple salt packs down the day before in the morning of. As far as what I do during, um, you know, I'm a stim guy. I love my pre-workouts, but I'm usually good for, you know, 400 milligrams of of caffeine pre-workout. 
but again, that that's a normal training session, an hour and a half, two, two and a half hour training session. We're, we're going for five hours and there's going to be long breaks in between. So normally what I'll do is I'll do like a third or half of what I normally do for my pre-workout for my first event. And that'll usually cover me for the first two events. And then I'll do another half or third scoop for the second two events. This is strong, man. We're talking about a five-event thing here. And then maybe if I need it, I'm going to feel like shit, but I'll do a scoop before the last event, depending on how I feel. Same thing for powerlifting. I'll usually um, take a half serving where I normally take for the squat and bench, and then normally I'll take another serving for, for the final deadlift. So overall, throughout the day, I'm probably close to a, a gram or 800 milligrams to a gram of caffeine on game day, but it's spread out. I'm not going to do, you know, 400 milligrams three times or five times. You know, it's just I, I try and spread it out a bit more rather than having one heaping scoop or a scoop and a half. I'll do a half or a third spread throughout the day. As far as nutrition, I use um, intra workout nutrition when I train. I do uh, usually a scoop or a scoop and a half of, of an intra product. Like I, I love Perry MD from True Nutrition. I've been using that for years. I also love Leg Day from Nutribio. Both of those products, the, the, the profile in Leg Day is a little bit better than PeriMD, but I love PeriMD. I love the flavor. And it's got everything I need. It's got um, HPCD carbohydrates. It's got some electrolytes. It's got a BCAA, EAA spectrum. I believe it has citrulline. Um, I'm probably missing a few things, but it's got some carbohydrate. Um, EAA, BCAA, and, and a little bit of electrolytes. And then leg day um, adds a little bit more. I believe it's got something in it called estrogen, which helps everything absorb a little bit better. It's got some um, coconut water extract, some salt, some more electrolytes. But those are my go-to intras. I also usually add a scoop of dextrose as well. I picked that up from um, Stan Efforting, you know, basically offering two carbohydrate sources. He believes that that's, you know, superior just to one, whether it is or it isn't. I mean, who knows? But that's what I do. I do uh, you know, 25 to, to 50 grams of carbs from the PeriMD or leg day, and then I'll add another 25 or 50 carbs from dextrose. So I do the same thing on game day, but instead of doing it in like a liter bottle, I'll probably do a gallon or maybe you know, you know, just, just do two liters throughout the day. So I have that to drink all day. So I have liquid carbohydrates, um, you know, liquid fuel throughout the day. And I also use creatine, so I probably put you know, five to 10 grams in on a regular workout. So I'll do the same for competition as well. I'll get some creatine in there as well. Um, and then as far as solid food, um, I usually do cream of rice. Uh, I think cream of rice is fantastic. I used to do oatmeal, but um, oatmeal is, is a little higher in fiber and isn't as readily available as cream of rice is. So I, go, I usually make a nice big vat of cream of rice, probably four servings. So I know I have enough for the day. I also bring honey. I think honey's phenomenal. It's delicious, and it's a, it's a very simple um, bioavailable carbohydrate as well. So I have the the cream of rice, which is a very bioavailable, easily easily absorbable carbohydrate, along with the honey. Um, maybe put a banana in there. And um, if I am really hungry, um, again, between the liquid carbohydrates and the cream of rice with honey and, and bananas, that's usually enough. But if I need something... Um, to kind of be a little more satisfying, I can just uh, use like a tablespoon of coconut oil, um, something like that, and a nice bioavailable flat uh, fat that doesn't cause uh, infl- inflammation like, like peanut butter does. Peanut butter just makes me feel like shit. Um, I love it just as much as all you do. Peanut butter is probably my favorite food, but I really don't eat it because it makes me feel like shit, especially pre-workout. Um, all my aches and pains and um, just poor energy, you know, as much as I'd love to have a couple of tablespoons of peanut butter, at any moment, um, it's extremely counterproductive when, when I'm trying to perform. So I, I, I lean more towards something a little more bioavailable and easily absorbed, like, like coconut oil. Uh, I think that covers everything as far as the nutrition during. So at the end of the competition, you know, I'm all fucking yiped up because I've had a gram of caffeine and I'm probably, I'm probably physically exhausted, but my brain is wired because of all the stimulants I've had. So usually the appetite isn't there, but um, I'll usually have some fruit because that, that, that's always great, especially after a long day where I've really expended some calories and, and, and really worked. Um, I, I can always have some fruit, some watermelon, mangoes, pineapples, um, maybe, maybe a protein shake or something like that, something quick, something easily absorbed. And also, I, I, I make sure I'm hydrated. So if I have, um, you know, I'm, I'm usually sipping Pedialyte all day, but if I, maybe I'll have a Pedialyte 
Maybe I'll have uh, an LMNT pack or two if my appetite's really not there after a long day. I know it should be there, right? Because I've been lifting all day, but it's not. So usually hydrating is going to help my appetite uh, come back. And, you know, after competition, after I compete, um, that's when I'll go out and have whatever the fuck I want. You know, I'm a pretty disciplined guy and, and my taste is, you know, my, my taste is steak and rice uh, or maybe a burger. I'm not really in the, in the pizza. And, uh, I like sushi, but plain sushi. I just kind of tend to feel like shit when I, when I have, um, you know, things that I don't normally eat. So I usually will go out and, and just have a big steak, maybe a burger, and, and really just eat whatever I want because it doesn't matter how shitty I feel afterwards. The competition's over, and that's when I kind of celebrate, you know, hopefully I was successful and I won and I can go out and eat whatever I want. So, again, the, the cheat, the refeed, whatever it is, keep that for after the competition. Stay on plan the day before, the night before, and, and, and during and, and for breakfast and the day of because you don't want anything that's going to cause any gastric distress or, or poor digestion. Um, so that, that's usually my go-to strategies for, for nutrition on, on game day. Um, just something else to consider, you know, when going into a competition, again, going back to nerves and anxiety and basically your whole, all the mental processes that go into a competition, realize that, that regardless of the outcome, win or lose, it's back the fuck to work on Monday. I think there's a lot of value in understanding that and, uh, and accepting that for one it might take a little bit of pressure off, you know, without that thought, you might be going into a competition thinking like it's the end of the fucking world. If you lose, it's really not, you know, and you don't lose. Okay. You either win or you learn, you know, failures contain our, our, our greatest lessons. So if you go to a competition and you fuck up and it costs you the win, you can go back, you can take a look, you can evaluate. Don't make fucking excuses. Don't blame the judges. Don't blame anything but yourself all right take a look at the failure see where you went wrong and fix it and put yourself in a position to be successful next time again regardless of the outcome it's back to work on monday i think there's a lot of value in, in accepting and, and applying that that mindset um i think that's just about everything that comes to mind for now when it comes to the the mental preparation uh, leading into a competition, during a competition, and also um, the, the nutritional strategies I tend to use when competing. I hope that stuff was helpful. Um, please feel free to leave some comments or any questions down below. I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll be checking these, you know, often enough, and I'd love to respond and get some discussions going uh, about these, about these, about these topics and these kind of procedures and strategies that I use and that I recommend to my clients and friends when when getting into a competition. But uh, again, like I said in the beginning, myself and again, I think there's seven or eight of us going up to New Hampshire for USS Strongman Nationals. Um, I couldn't be more excited. Uh, it's very special to me, obviously, because this is my first national show since the one in 17 where I broke my arm. And I just I, I, have, I haven't decided to, to do one since because I have no interest in showing up and zeroing the overhead in a big show like this. Um, so where I actually have a shot at, at this year's overhead event, um, I'm just, I, I couldn't be more excited, and I'm, I'm very, very confident. Um, I'm very confident. I think I'm, I'm in a position to win. I'm in a position to take it. Uh, but of course, with strongman, um, anything can happen. Anything can happen in strongman. The biggest, strongest, fastest guy is not always the winner. And also, you know, when you think about strongman, you think about the big lifts. You think about massive deadlifts and huge stones and, and big overhead pressing but every event is worth the same every event has the same value okay so in in this particular event we have the overhead medley which i explained to you we have a last man standing deadlift which is going to be pretty epic um my bar starts at 670 there's uh 50 or 60 guys in my class so we'll all go through we have 30 seconds to successfully hit the deadlift and they're going to go up by 30 pounds we all go again, go up 30, we all go again, and it just keeps going. So if you think about that, what makes it kind of special is as the weight gets heavier, our rest period's going to get slower because guys are going to start, drop, start dropping off. Um, so not only do you have to have some fucking horsepower to, to hit a big deadlift, but you got to have some gas too because um, you know, fatigue's going to start to accumulate and we're going to be tired especially when it comes down to three to five guys. You know, you're only going to have a couple minutes, a couple minutes in between attempts. 
And then the last thing that makes this, this deadlift special is, is there's a cash prize for the biggest deadlift of the day. Not the biggest overall, but um, they're going to use dots. So across all classes, the heaviest relative deadlift is going to win a cash prize. And I think it's um, a dollar per pound. So I was speaking to Chase and I asked, I said, you know, I don't know if there are any other eight, 900 pound deadlifters in my class, but if I end up, you know, being able to win my class with, you know, an 800 pound deadlift, can I, can I keep going and kind of hit as big a deadlift as I can to put me in position to win, win the cash? And he said, after you win your class, you're welcome to take a break and then you can put on whatever you want for a final attempt to, uh, it's the biggest deadlift you can for the cash. So that that's my plan. I hope to have enough to win my class and maybe hit something sick. You know, maybe eight eighty or nine hundred. I've hit eight eighty in training, so we'll see if I can pull up pull out something big. Nine hundred would be a pretty big milestone. So maybe I can hit that on, on the day, but we'll see. Uh, the next event is probably the one that's most stressful for me and everyone else. Is it's a carry. It's a Barry carry. It's kind of like a fire hydrant. And the reason why it's so stressful is it, it's very light. It's 320 pounds, and it's, it's a short track. It's 25 feet down and back. And why that's so stressful is the difference between first place and 15th place is going to be like half a fucking second. Everyone's going to be probably between, you know, 8 and 12 seconds unless they drop it or totally fuck it up. But the, the, the margin of victory in between each place is going to be so, so small that it, it's, it's going to come down to the fucking wire. It's going to come down to how, how, you know, how attentive your, your timer is. It's going to come down to you know, having a very aggressive pick. It's going to come down to having a quick turn. It's, it's a very, very delicate event with a lot of variables that I, I don't like. I'm, I would much rather, if it's a lighter carry, I'd much rather it be for a long distance or for max distance. If it's going to be 25 feet up and back, make the thing fucking 400, 450 pounds so that it's, it's heavy and so that we're struggling. And then you're going to have, you know, a couple seconds between first, second, third, fourth, and fifth place, not point two. But it is what it is, you know. May the fastest man win. The, the next event is going to be a, a max hold. So it's uh, farmer's handles. I think I have 280 in each hand. You just stand there and hold it as, as long as possible, which is a great event because grip strength is obviously, you know, it's obviously a test of grip strength, but it's also just a test of how bad you fucking want it. I don't care how tough you are, but holding, you know, 250, 300 pounds in your hand, it fucking hurts. The skin folds up, your calluses, it's, it, just, it just fucking hurts. So it's really going to be not only the guy that has the strongest grip, but the guy that fucking wants it the most, the guy that can just suffer and keep holding on. Um, so that, that, that's going to be a, a really cool event to see what happens there. And it's also, you know, who knows? You, you know, so, sometimes a, a very unassuming guy, a guy without, you know, that may not have the most daunting or intimidating physical stature, stature could have some sick fucking grip strength. So um, it's going to be really interesting to see who pulls that one off. Um, I, we had New York record breakers a few months ago and I, I, I actually tried this event. They had it there and I ended up actually having enough to, to beat the, the current national record. I think I held it for like a minute 18 or something like that, but that doesn't mean shit. I mean, who knows um, what's going to, what, what's going to come on the 25th up in New Hampshire, you know um, it could go anywhere. And, and also the, the implements themselves are a little bit different. They're a little more compact and dense. So it's going to be a different feel, but it's the same for everybody. It's, um, it's, it's anybody's event, so I'm looking forward to that. And the final event is a, is a stone to shoulder. I have a 305 stone to shoulder. Um, what makes this event kind of special and also f- frustrating and makes me a little anxious is that there's no tacky. So, you know, what it's going to come down to is, again, the biggest, strongest, most conditioned guy might not pull this off because if he's a sweaty, wet mess that stone's going to slip all over the place. We can use tacky towels and we can use this liquid tacky that's decent, but it tends to only last one, two, three reps, maybe. Um, I'm good for seven or eight reps in a minute if I can stay hooked into this thing, but, uh, but we'll see. I got I to gotta work on um, not sweating, you know? So we'll see. Um, but again, like I said, I'm one of seven or eight guys and girls from the gym. The top strength partner is going to have a huge presence this year. It will be televised as well. Um, the name of the company escapes me, but there's 12 lanes and each lane will be essentially operating as its own, as its own competition. 
Um, you know, so for example, if there's if if lane one finishes event one before lane five, they go right to the next event, and each lane has its own camera. So for those for those of you that can't make it, you can you can tune in. Um, we'll, we'll supply the links for you guys so you can watch. But either way, I couldn't be more excited. I couldn't be more excited because of my own personal um, you know reasoning for this being my first national show since my injury in 2017, but also uh, being able to share this experience and everything that's, that's led up to it with, you know, so many of my closest friends who I train alongside with here at the gym on a daily basis is just, uh, it just means the world to me. And also being able to be in a position to sponsor a lane and have a table and have a setup there is just so special. And also finally it being in New Hampshire is great because a lot of the times when you travel for shows, there, there's no fucking equipment to warm up. It's brutal. You know, and you, you got to warm up for a, for a max overhead event with fucking bands and you're screwed. But whereas to New Hampshire, it's about an hour and a half drive for me. So I'll, me, me and the boys are going to load up uh, a bunch of equipment. So we'll have everything we need to be able to warm up and put ourselves in a position to be successful. So I think, um, I think we're coming, man. I got a couple, I got a couple lightweights, got a couple middleweights. I'm a heavyweight. Um, so I, I think, I think we're going to, we're going to put on a great show for everybody and I can't wait. Um, but that's it for this episode. Thanks a lot for listening, guys. Again, I, I hope you know though, that that insight and those strategies were were valuable to you guys. It's, it's, it's definitely my my goal to provide as much value through this uh, platform as possible. So I'm going to keep them coming. Um, keep the feedback coming. Keep the comments coming. Keep the messages coming. I really appreciate it, and I, I can't tell you how much it means to me that this this whole podcast adventure has been so well received. Um, Never in a million years did I think that there'd be so many people excited about listening to me bullshit behind a microphone for an hour or so, a couple times, a couple times a month. So thanks again for the support and the interest. I really appreciate it, guys. Uh, and we'll see you around. All right, on to the next episode. Take care. All right, so that just about wraps up today's episode. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to the Top Strength Cast. I hope you enjoyed listening to that as much as we enjoyed putting it together. Uh, if you did, in fact, enjoy it, please leave a five-star review, like, share, whatever it may be to help get the word out. We really appreciate the support. Um, and also, your, your feedback. Your feedback means a lot to me. Feel free to reach out, uh, shoot me a DM directly at StripCam or comment below. You know, Like I said in the intro, it's most important to me to offer as much value through this platform as possible. And it's very helpful in doing that to, to get your guys' feedback. Let me know what you like, what you don't like, what you want to hear. Um, you know, I really want to provide the, the best service possible. So thanks again so much for listening. We'll see you guys over there, and we'll see you next week for the next episode. Thanks again. <laughs>